guys, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Shivani. And I'm Melissa. We are very excited to have Senator Robert Hertzberg here with us today. Hertzberg, a native of Los Angeles, was twice unanimously elected Speaker of the California State Assembly from 2000 to 2002, and is the first former Assembly Speaker in 86 years to be elected to the California State Senate, where he now serves nearly 1 million residents in the San Fernando Valley. Senator Hertzberg continues to address the big challenges facing California and is a founding member of the Bergerins Institute Think Long uh, Committee and serves on the board of directors at the Rose Institute of State and Local Government at Claremont McKenna College. Welcome to the show, Senator. Um, Thanks for having me. <laughs> no, it's all our pleasure. We, we like to start off each podcast by, um, you know, basically every story has a background um, and has, has, has a starting point. Um, and we are very interested in hearing yours. Uh, so, really, our, our question is, where did you find your passion for politics? Because um, at least for my own life, and I, I can only really speak to that, um, there's a period, I feel like, where everyone is, not everyone, but a cu- couple of us are very much civic-minded, but sometimes that doesn't last throughout um, creating a, a career out of mm-hmm. politics. Um, so, really, what, when did you catch the politics bug, is my question. I am one of five sons, and I had a tough, mean old dad who was a constitutional <laughs> lawyer oh. who every day would sit around the table when he was home, and he'd challenge us on issues. And, you know, you thought thinking about free speech, and it was the days of the civil rights movement and all the, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so it was in, it was part of our lives. It was our daily, daily discussion. Mm-hmm. And so I started out as a lawyer thinking I was going to change the world as a lawyer. Then I started to write, and I said, well, that doesn't really work. You know, every time you go to court, you win a case for somebody. Next week, they're back with the same problem. And I said, well, let's go to preventative law. and Let me see if I can avoid their problems. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at the laws and how stupid the laws were. And I said, well, <laughs> let me go and work on that. And I went from there. I said, let me work on Constitution. So the the, the same, it's it's really just a DNA that all of us have that are that really are in this. Absolutely. You know, and it's it's really, it's I don't know how much it's about public service or problem solving or... You know, I, I kind of look at myself as as an architect of ideas, mm-hmm. and I think structurally, I think systemically, and to try to think through you know where we really want to go rather right. than situational or transactional. No, absolutely, that's super cool. Um, mm-hmm. So that involves the transitioning basically from the public sector or what from the private sector to the public sector, um, and sort of wondering what are the benefits and challenges of each respective field. Um, given that that is your mindset and your approach to politics. No, I, th- I, think, I think to be in the public sector, it's important to also have been in the private sector. It's important to travel the world. It's mm-hmm. important to educate and to learn. What are, you, what are you doing in the public sector? You are in the idea business, and then you need to, if beyond just being a demagogue, standing in a microphone and maybe making great speeches, what you need to do is to be able to translate that into action. Leadership means you're taking somebody somewhere. It means you're actually moving ideas, right? So you have to have the broadest array of ideas and the actual ability to make them happen. So the combination of, you know, business people go in politics are the worst in the because they don't understand that the, the person who empties the trash can mm-hmm. is as important as the CEO. That's Absolutely. what politics is about. It's about people. And But then the flip side of it is the, 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 the political people have to understand what the real world is like and what those rules. And so I live in that space between the private sector and the public sector, in, in my view, in the most credible way to try to move the agenda. Right, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned leadership. So here at Claremont McKenna, we, we've done a, our best to basically integrate leadership into our curriculum um, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so, and you really spoke to the difference between private and public, but also you're in your 
perspective how yeah. they're integral and uh, really succeeding in any one of those sectors. What is your philosophy of leadership differ um, it, between the private field and the public field? Or did you, were you able to sort of maintain and adapt that philosophy? They're different. Uh, they're different, different deals. But, you know, from school, look, I, 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 I was an ambitious kid in school mm -hmm. and all you guys are smarty pants and the people, the seven <laughs> people that are listening to this are smarty pants people. <laughs> and there's a big difference between ambition mm -hmm. and leadership. Leadership means you believe in the cause, and the cause is more important than your career. The cause is more important than what people think about you. The cause is getting the job done mm -hmm. versus ambition that says, and this is the biggest problem that exists in politics, all these fancy schmancy articulate people who couldn't, you know, all they do is they want you to think they're great. Right. And they want to get that way so they'll elect them to the next office and move up so all their friends will come and visit them in the White House versus getting stuff done and what young people don't get and I didn't get when I was a Puttsburger your guys age uh, is that it's about taking the risk man mm -hmm. it's about knocking down the doors it's about pushing the envelope it's about the power of ideas not the power of how many people like you because when you're excellent at what you do you will create a following but it's risky mm -hmm. you know what that means you're gonna fall on your face you're gonna break some bones, and guess what? It is in every broken bone, and every falling in your face, and every ruined relationship, and everything else that you gain experience and judgment and wisdom that you understand how to lead. Absolutely. Wow, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you seem to advocate this sort of experiential kind of learning of leadership. We also have a leadership sequence here at Claremont McKenna College. Do you think leadership is the kind of thing that can be taught in a classroom or through programs that we have on the weekends or through a leadership institute? Yeah, depending upon how it's done. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I never forget, I was at Harvard at, at uh, the Kennedy School. And when I was a new speaker and I was there with new speakers from all over the country and there was some fancy schmancy Harvard professor <laughs> giving some bullshit about leadership, I probably violated that. And the Speaker of the House with his big pot belly at the end of it leans back in his chair and he says, that's the biggest bunch of bullshit I've ever heard, <laughs> right? And all the other speakers just laugh because at the end of the day, our job as Speaker of the House is to make it happen. Mm. Forget all the BS. You know, what is it that's in the hearts and minds of people? You talk right. about Lyndon Johnson and his tough old days. Well, you know what? That's the end of the day. You, you got to deliver for folks. Fancy speeches or make it happen. I'm a make it happen kind of guy. Absolutely. So yes, you can, but it's not these theoretical deals. It's really trying to educate people through uh, uh, ideas and experience in a way to understand how important it is to put ambition at, behind ideas and behind willingness to risk to actually push for those ideas. Right. Um, no, absolutely. Like complacency doesn't make sense. Did I violate the rules by no, saying no, those words? No, 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 no. We, we love your candidness. Um, so I had a question in terms of if you had to so advise the Democratic Party leadership in terms of the Senate, do you think they're taking this very ambitious approach or do you think they've become complacent? Um, and, and what are your opinions on that? And if you really could have uh, sort of a direct uh, space to, to really tell them how they should improve, what would that, those considerations be? Well, no, I just, I think that we need to just think longer term. Okay. My big issue and everything that I'm trying to do is to think longer term. What happens structurally in the legislature, in both houses, and it's always happened, is that you know people come in and they mm. propose an idea. And your only option is to vote up or down on the idea. 
We should have hearings that last two or three days long and explore all the options around ideas to fix a problem. But some group comes before you, you want to get their endorsement, they got some fancy title, and, and you want 100% you know, rating by those folks. Well, guess what? They don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. Your best friends don't have all the answers. The challenge for all of us is to tell your best friends that you're wrong sometimes. But do it graciously, honestly, openly, and do it in a way where you're exploring the, uh, the boundaries of the ideas to figure out how to solve a problem. What I, happens in government all over the place is we have what's called the Winchester Mystery House effect. If you know that up in San Jose, yes. Northern California, it's this house where they just keep adding rooms and nothing connects to nothing. So we in government all the time, and we all do this, and it, it, it's we just keep adding ideas or new bills or a new bill idea that mm -hmm. sounds good. And we build this cluster of crap, right? <laughs> it's just what happens. And we need to sit back and think a lot more and to understand how all the parts move and not be so transactional. Right. And that's not this leadership. It's it's the whole nature of the institution because it's bill-driven. Somebody is in the political industrial complex's job is, oh, I've got to come up with new bill ideas or I'm going to lose my job. Mm. And so they come up with a bunch of bill ideas. They sound good, but how do they really work? Just one point, I know I'm going on long, but it's important. When I first ran for government 20 years ago, I spent every night from like 2 to 4 o'clock in the morning reading and outlining all 29 codes in the Constitution. So I could see the big architecture of the law, see the inconsistencies, see common themes about how we have approached problem solving in certain areas. So when mm. people came in my office and talking about an issue involving healthcare, there might be something in the probate code, or the insurance code, or the civil code, or the penal code that would tie jurisprudentially that idea together. Again, strategy, big picture think. And institutionally, look, I know I'm pushing the envelope. That's what I always do. And, it, and, and I had the same, I'm not sitting there saying I was perfect because I had dealt with all this transactional stuff. At, at the end of the day, people got to make a living and, and there's all kinds of decisions that had to be made. But just as hard as all of us together can push toward the strategic big picture think, it results in better governance. Absolutely. So you have a very specific type of style when you're approaching government. And it seems like a lot of people, you're, knowingly or not, are advocating for this sort of Winchester mystery house. I love that metaphor. I'm from Texas. Still yeah. don't know what that means. But we're, we're in Texas. Uh, near Houston. Yeah. Sugarland. Um, so, I mean, how do, you, like, how do you talk to people when they're advocating for that? Are you speaking your mind all the time when you're it's in these It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. When you walk into rooms and people come in, they, they're talking. I call them talking points people. Mm -hmm. Their job is they're, they're salespeople. They're there to sell you a new purse or to sell you a new house or to sell you a new air conditioner. And that's all they can talk about. Well, wait a second. How much energy is that air conditioner you use? What is that? How does that work? What other alternatives can you use to actually meet those requirements mm -hmm. for people's homes? Is that what's actually needed? Is that is it, would you use those assets for this versus like let's use insulation instead right. or use something else? Let's have a broader conversation. Mm -hmm. And usually I get a lot of eyes rolling on that stuff, and it's harder for me to find audiences. Mm -hmm. So I built I have a house about a mile away from the Capitol, and I convene people all the time, have members, and we try to engage in deeper discussions. And it's fabulous. I mean, it's. People are smart and people are interested and people have great stories who got elected and they went through, ran through walls to get elected. It's, it's the system that we're involved in that we've all got to change. And I hear it all the time from, from colleagues and it's, it's inspiring. It's one of the reasons why I made the decision to go back. I certainly didn't need to. Right. Um, and so do you think this system or this institution of government uh, really breeds generalists or, or specialists? And in your mind, it sounds like from what you're advocating, you you definitely understand the value of having a generalist approach or right. understanding a lot of things, but, but not, you know, 
on the surface level, like really understanding how the pieces fit together. Yeah. Um, if you had to advise an incoming senator about how he should approach um, legislation and just the vast amount of knowledge you have to acquire in order to, order to really make uh, informed decisions, what would you say? Well, that's what I did when I was Speaker of the House. We created the Capital Institute to train right. members mm -hmm. and then subsequently trained thousands and thousands of staffers on, on stuff. Instead of just being a political hack and getting elected, you got to go through budget class and committee class and how all the processes work to learn how it, how it happens. But, but it, it really, it's really just trying to talk about the strategic thing, the strategic thing, and using examples. That's mm -hmm. what a leadership class would be, trying to get people to think through other ways to approach problem solving. And so we all talk about that all the time. It's really kind of exciting. Right. We just got to, you know, the, the, cha the big challenge is this, is that the rate of speed with which the world is moving is mind-numbing. Yeah. Mind-numbing, mm -hmm. right? Digitization, the whole upside down, the nature of work, what's going to happen to you guys in the next 30 years? Your life is so different than right. what my life was going to be. And in, in any other generation, you know, and so, so we have to really figure out how to reinvent ourselves and quicken the whole process because on the one hand, we want to be deliberative and include everybody because that's appropriate for the democratic process. We call democracy Protestant white men who own land and we thought that was democracy, right? right? We've been fighting that fight forever. <laughs> like you guys now can vote, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Yay! Yay! Well, I mean, but that, that it no, looked like real. it's nothing today, but that was a big deal. Even Absolutely. look at the Civil Rights Act yeah. or, 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 or things that happen with people with... Uh, making people pay poll tax or literacy mm -hmm. tests. If you saw the movie Selma, that was real. Right. You know, and then you have to further develop that. So we want, on the one hand, give people power and room at the table and litigation rights. On the other hand, globalization is requiring us to move in 2.6 nanoseconds. Mm -hmm. So we have to figure out the larger architecture of how we're going to make a democracy work like that. Absolutely. And I have ideas on that, by the you way. You do? Oh, of course. go ahead. Love to hear them. Yeah. This is your floor. Bringing power closer to the people. What happens is what I have come to, to see, and again, I, I did not come back to office because I want my name in the paper or because, you know, uh, I'm running for something else. I, I didn't do that. I mm -hmm. came because money's not my God. I have traveled the world. I have done everything. I have every bucket list that I could imagine be filled. And now this is Plato's Republic to me. And so... It's devolution. It's smaller units of government. It's smaller communities where everybody has a voice and you can move quickly, where people harmonize quicker. Mm -hmm. In the old days, you couldn't do that because that was created prejudice and all sorts of problems. Today, in the globalized economy, people can have companies with 10 people that can serve 20 countries. Absolutely. So I, I think that that model for democracy will allow us to compete, will allow people to have real voice mm -hmm. and, and, and make things work. Absolutely. So unfortunately, we are nearing the end of our time. Um, we like to ask this one constant question to all of our, um, all the thought leaders that we are uh, able to have on our show, um, and that is, what is your personal definition of success? So that a bit of a loaded question, yes. Um, but I think it's it's very much essential for uh, you spoke to the generation that we are in. Um, it's 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 this curious dynamic thing that keeps changing. Um, so what advice would you give to students in defining success for themselves? Um, and again, what is your personal definition of it? I actually, I'm, I, I've been writing a book. I started working on it, and I brought some of it here as a speech that I'm going to give here today. And the book's called Actual Government, Politics Ain't Beanbags, an interactive course-correcting work plan for California's future. Amazing. And I have here in my opening line, I have a quote from a guy who I don't even know, but I love the quote so much. And I think that this really is it, if I can give me one-tenth oh, of a second to find it. It says... <clears throat> 
I write, for as long as I can remember, I have loved government and politics. Throughout the various phases of my life, there have been very different reasons for my participation. But my decision now is about both now and about the future. Harold Thurman, who I don't know who he is, wrote, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go, go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. That's what it's about. It's not about a definitive end because it's, life is a constant process. When you have the passion and you have the energy and you contribute to the human condition in a positive and energetic way, whether that's raising kids or taking care of people with AIDS in Africa or going to Mars or whatever it is, none of us can do everything, but come alive. Absolutely, absolutely. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have today. Thank you again, Senator Hertzberg, for joining us and to all the listeners out there, remember to stay hungry and come alive. Come alive. <laughs>